We're breaking down RevOps with some of the biggest names in SaaS. Every week, Patrick Campbell and Michael Klett unravel the mysteries of RevOps. I spend all my time thinking about revenue operations. While also enjoying some of the best and freshest hops around. Cheers to RevOps. In today's episode, we discuss the relationship between RevOps and marketing with David Rogan-Moser, the CEO of Proof. This is RevOps and Hops. Welcome to RevOps and Hops. I'm Patrick Campbell of ProfitWell. We got Michael Klett of Chargeify and Dave Roganmoser. Let's go. Did I do that right? That's it. Roganmoser. That's it. I'm always scared to say names here. From Proof, some of us have probably seen one of these a little too much in our lives. Uh, the other is a little bit different. The main topic today is marketing. And so I brought a Do you know something about marketing? I know a little bit about marketing. A little bit? Just a little bit? A little bit. I do like marketing. I brought a beer-based marketing story for us. A beer-based marketing story. Okay. So on the outside, we have Stone Brewing's airing at Bastardale. Now, Stone Brewing in California is is one of the the biggest craft beer producers in the U.S., one of the Mm. most well-known. And then you have Keystone Light. Uh, Well, recently, Stone has filed a lawsuit against Keystone interesting of their rebranding and then you find the word stone very large very prominent Hmm. when you're looking at it from this angle all you see is stone they've said you are confusing the customers really keystone light immediately after filing the lawsuit of course they made a video but this can doesn't even have the word stone on it anywhere you're right you're right probably they're missing the boat (laughs) do they have others that say just stone they do they do there's stone ipa there's uh there's a bunch of but the reason i chose airing it bastard yeah. Is because, you know, Stone is worried that the consumers might confuse Stone beer with Keystone Light. Oh. But if you taste these beers, you will realize they couldn't be more different. I thought I'd share with you guys what it says on the can. It probably says something fun. This is an aggressive beer. Oh, my gosh. You probably won't like it. So I, I like this beer, but what you do have to know about it is that it is, it is aggressive. It is arrogant. It okay. is all hops. It is all flavor. Like, it's not necessarily well-balanced, but it's fun to it's drink. punch me in the mouth. That's it's gonna yeah, it's gonna punch you in the face. Yeah, I'm excited. So let's start with the Keystone Light. I'm assuming that that's lighter, lighter color. <laughs> do, do you have a funnel? Opaque. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not used. To a, I'm not used. I'm not used to these I, fancy I, metal yeah, glasses yeah. when I drink my Keystone. Is there a hose? Right? <laughs> 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 uh, just kidding. Gosh. Just kidding, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's do a cheers. All right, so cheers. Cheers to RevOps. It's been like 20 years since I've cheers. This will be good. This will be a flashback. Ah, oh, it smells like desperation and terrible. I mean, that takes me right back. That's All right, funny. so there's your baseline with Keystone. Okay, right. now so do one more here. See if you're confused about which beer is which as you move over to I the uh, Stone Arrogant like Bastard. I'm gonna make a terrible face when I drink it. Wow, that is strong. You pick up anything else? You get it tastes any, like uh, a fermented pot of coffee. That's not almost a bad, like a little bit. That's of coffee. pretty good. Just, like just a, a black coffee. Like a black coffee. It's totally. so bitter. Yeah, yeah, real. Like, I want to put a little Splenda in here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this uh, this is a bitter beer, probably owing to the large quantities of hops they put in it. Yeah, more hops equals bitter, right? Basically? Pretty much, yes. Okay. Hops are a bittering agent. They're used because if you didn't have them, the beer would be too sweet. Got it. So mm-hmm. having a balance of yeah. the sweet and the bitter is Surely. a good thing. So when you get to like a milk stout or a Guinness, that's low hop. Low hop. Okay. Yeah. More accentuation on, yeah, the, the sweetness Got on it. the malts. And then real beer drinkers make fun of those people, right? Uh, no. No, okay. of course not. Just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate beer, but I'm not like a huge beer guy. I mm-hmm. think I would go with the Keystone from a taste perspective because I, I don't, don't like bitter. Like sure. bitter's not my jam. This yeah. is just, it's just too much. Well, it's yeah. very it's very drinkable. This is this is arrogant. Um, on camera and on microphone, I will say that yeah, I picked the stone. 
<laughs> I would do this in like a tasting flight. You're at like a brewery. You yeah, get six exactly. Of them, yeah, you know, two ounce pours. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good for what it is. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and Stone makes some phenomenal beers. If you, I'm sure. you try everything across their portfolio, it's it's amazing. So what do you think? Does the um the idea of a turning your lawsuit into like a marketing viral video story make sense, dude? I love it. It feels <laughs> like their brand. Like yeah, it feels like, like yeah. they're arrogant, yeah. Yeah. they're punchy, they're gonna like go for the big guy and tell everyone about it. Like yeah. it makes sense for their brand. It'd be super weird if Keystone did it back. Like yeah, it'd be very the big odd. guy goes for arrogant and they're yeah. like publicizing it. It's like, hey, you're just a bully. Right. It's you have to do it in the right way, I think. Because it I think it works every time, but only for certain audiences. Okay. Like Stone, I'm sure suing Keystone, like all of their fans are like, Yeah, screw Keystone, because they would you know, yes, they might drink Keystone every so often, but they wouldn't admit it, right? You know, right. they would be like, no, I love Stone. I love like these boutique, you know, type of beers and stuff like that. So I don't know, it's interesting. Our company's proof. You know, we've been around about two and a half years. Um, we're bootstrapped at the beginning, but then went through Y Combinator about a year oh, cool. in um, and grew from there. And yeah, basically what we do is we offer social proof um, marketing on your site. So you integrate into proof, you know, and we show live notifications across your site of what customers are doing. And even though it's not people you know, people look at it and intuitively think, 72 people, that's a lot of people. Like, mm-hmm. I want to go sign up. It's like really weird, like, place in the brain that makes you want to do things that strangers that you have no connection to do. Right. It gets me every time. Yeah. I know it's happening, but I'm like, oh, well, they did it. Totally. Like, I should do it too. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, one thing yeah. people would always ask us. It's like, okay, do they know the people? Like, is it a picture of their, like, friend? And it's like, no, it's just Bob from Indiana signed up. Yeah. How do you find, like, competitive landscapes in your, your businesses? So I think when we started, there was really just like one other competitor. Sure. And we were trying to craft this term social proof marketing and this like social proof marketing space kind of create that. Yeah. But like that didn't exist at all anymore. It was just yeah. like, oh, you're a widget. Like, are you a WordPress plugin? Sure. Or just sure, like sure. a company? Um, but then quickly after that, like, I don't know, we probably had 60 competitors yeah. you know, come out of the nowhere. Yeah. Probably 40 of them named proof something yeah, or yeah, something yeah. proof or something Well, it's because it starts off as a widget, but really the vision's so much and more And they than see that. it everywhere yeah. and they see our company growing and they're like, holy crap, I could do that too. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's yeah. like a relatively simple product as well. And so I think a lot of people, a lot of them have compared themselves to us and, have, you know, they show all the charts and like That's what great they have you, and all yeah. that. But we don't really acknowledge them that much. And yeah. I kind of feel like when you're like the top dog, you don't need to do that or maybe sure. you shouldn't do that. The, the whole reason that Chargeify started was because um, there wasn't good off-the-shelf building well, It was just like you and Recurly 10 years ago, right? Like, um, 2009, it was Spreedly and Recurly. I mean, Spreedly oh, okay. and Chargeify, and then Recurly okay. came in like 2010. Oh, okay. Yeah, just a little bit after, um, and then Charge me a little bit after that. Yeah, I mean, like it was clear that subscriptions were going to be a thing, right? Yeah. Like absolutely, like obvious. Um, it was much more skewed towards B2C at the time. Mm. I don't know if anybody really realized the extent to which B2B would be. Well, a lot of sense. media companies, because media companies were like, this whole ad thing's not working. Let's do it. Let's try a subscription. And that yeah. like, drove a lot of it, I think. Yeah. I don't know. There's, there's an interesting question about the ethics of doing a random number generator right. there versus doing, because people have done that with, you know, when you send your first invoice, they always say like, do over a thousand, don't do like invoice one. Right. Like, right. You know, that's kind of like a small version of that versus like 14 rooms left on the site. Like, what do you guys mm. think of that? Like, yeah, we were like, you probably have this against it. Of it yeah. but, Good. One, because just like morally, I think so. But also if we're going to build a long-term business, people have to believe it. They have yeah. to trust it. And if they stop trusting it, there's no business anymore. Totally. You know, it's not going to work. And so yeah. I think it's the right thing to do, but also I just want to be around in 10 years. And yeah. Um, yeah. that's the biggest question we always get with like booking.com or you know, hotels.com. People are always like, I thought that was always fake. Like we go pretty far to try to make sure it's real. Sure. Like, no. 
not really hard. Like we're not like locking down every account, not like manually yeah. checking every little thing. Like you probably could game it. Like if you don't have enough personalized information, I think you guys show like 22 people. Like, yeah. so it'll just be yeah, like yeah. a very generic. Yeah, there's like various yeah, yeah, ways to set that in up. In case like you can't get the personalization. Yeah. yeah, but that's been like a door for a lot of our competitors where they come in and they will do that. The random they, number Yeah, yeah. Or they'll, they'll yeah. offer, you can upload a list of past people mm. or just like allow you to do stuff. And again, I think you could still use those features. How do you guys think about like the spectrum here of like trying to create false scarcity or like trying to like game things a little bit I felt this all over again as we're launching, you know, this new product, Smart Journeys, yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's like we've got this company, we've got three thousand plus customers, it's established, but then I'm also kind of a startup with this brand new product. Yeah, like going back to the basics, you know. And it's like on those first couple calls, you're like, I feel that. It's like I wanted to tell them that like other people are using it, you know, yeah. but they're not. And so a lot of times, you know, either I'll I just won't mention it. I'm not lying it, but I'm also sure. not saying you're the first one. We were we had price intelligently, and then we were starting ProfitWell, and we were we were scared of like cannibalizing the little cash flow we had. And so when we started the ProfitWell site, we didn't say like, "Hey, everyone on this list is using ProfitWell," but we were like, "We're trusted by these people, therefore you should trust us." And we just didn't. We weren't as like transparent as we would be today about it. And I think it was one of those things. It made us kind of feel weird, and then we quickly like changed it just because it was one of those things where that insecurity can really get to you like yeah. you're talking about. But at the end of the day, like that transparency and that like honesty, I think is like super, super crucial. And they're going to find out. Totally. You know, it's like, because like, they're going to they ask the person. Yeah. Like, if you're going to build a real relationship with them. Totally. Don't start it off. On the and if you start it off on a lie, you're never going to be able to like emotionally get there because you're always yeah. like, he can't find out too much about our business. Cause I told him we had a lot. And yeah, yeah. He's yeah, going yeah, to find yeah. out. We don't, if he comes to our office or yeah, whatever. Totally. So. Yeah, it's interesting. That whole fake it till you make it, I think it's like really bad advice. Do you guys run into this? I mean, you guys have been around for a long time. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, what I was thinking of is, as you guys were discussing that is just in the in the early days. So we've been around 10 years. Yeah. I remember I did a lot of tech support for, for mm. people. Like I was essentially tier two tech support. Sure. But the relationships that you make when you're at that scale that become the authentic relationships, right? Like I would I would be instant messaging like customers of ours like trying to like live solve problems you know you've gone more into the personalization space is that the space is yeah that how we characterize yeah, yeah, it yeah we feel like we sell conversion lift and that started by selling social proof and like social yeah. proof offered the best conversion lift but we always felt like personalization was like the blue ocean mm -hmm. very hard to do a lot of people dabbled with it but no one's sure. really doing it if someone's downloaded the ebook I don't want to like give them that same right. you know offer, right? Yeah. I want to get either, don't throw a pop up at them. Trying yeah, to I want to advance the next yeah. offer or just like have it go away, depending on what it is. But is there a point where personalization and like social proof and these types of things get a little too a little too much, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there's kind of two kinds of personalizations that we've explored this over the last year. There's like the in your face, hi John, welcome back to the site. Yeah, you know, here's your logo, and you know all that, which is really cool. Like a certain kind of audience loves that. Like we have one agency that is doing that and getting lift from it. But like all of their customers are like tech savvy and kind of sure. cool and whatnot. They get it. Or there's just personalization. Like they don't even know it's happening. It's just, it. it's just, wow, this is a super relevant message to me. Like this uh, site was yeah. built for me. I think we're still kind of exploring that. Like what do customers want? Like I like the in your face because it's viral for us because people know it's happening. They're going to ask the company, hey, how'd you do that? Like with you guys, for example, on your blog, like you wouldn't even probably know it's happening. Yeah, it's just CTAs that happen to be, you know, in line with the actual blog post. Yeah. Happen to be at the stage that you're at. Yeah. And you yeah. wouldn't even really know it in a lot of ways. And sure. So, I, I like this so much better than like targeted ads. And when yeah. when I'm clearly being identified when I'm in another property mm. versus coming to the property, right? I'm already interested in it and then having it tailored for me. Yeah. I like that much better than 
So you think the you intent know. is what kind of changes it? Yeah. 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 It's like we're not following you. We're tailoring. Yeah. You're these, coming to you us. You came to us. Tailored. Yeah. And now we know who you are. I would argue you're a marketing driven CEO. Yep. Um, product's great, but like I'd argue. I'm, re- like, I'm reforming. I'm trying to not yeah. be, you know, the marketing guy. It but never, yeah, I love it. It'll and, never leave. Uh, I, I know it's never going to leave. Yeah, and yeah. so um, what do you think we're doing really, really well, like as an industry? And what do you think we're not so doing well? And then we need to fix a bit. I think a big shift happening is realizing marketing is not just about very front end. It's not just about getting the conversion. And I think that's where the handoff has happened a lot where it's like, as soon as they sign up, let's sign them up and then help them. And some are even doing, I think the right way of like, let's really, really help them first. And then we'll think about signing them up. They're thinking about the full life cycle way more now, or at least like RevOps Mm -hmm. is thinking about the full life cycle. I think we all get it. You know, obviously the show is based on RevOps and things like that, but is it something where you think that the market's just going to force people to care about this? Do you think the market's ready for it? Like, what do you, what do you, so what's I, I think take? in our experience, we've got this flywheel. Like, we think of SaaS growth or subscription growth as a flywheel, not just a funnel that, like, at the end, there's got to be a referral stage that kicks people back into the beginning. And so, you know, as I've taken this flywheel idea where you're signing people up, but then you've got to activate them, engage them, mm. expand them, and refer them. It's hard to find the person in the company that cares about all of those. Mm. And so we've typically led with talking to like CMOs or growth people. They care a lot about the educate and convert stage. But it seems like only the CEOs that I've talked to are the ones that care about the full thing. And if I don't get a CEO, like they are the RevOps person in a lot of startups that I'm thinking about. And like I can't get the marketing people to care about anything past the conversion stage. Like, Mm. oh, yeah, you know, that's product or, you know, Mm. whatever there. And so... What do you think about CROs? Like, are you guys seeing a lot of CROs? Yeah, well, we have one of our own now. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. Recent yeah. hire, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, I think, a logical next step. The CRO could be the CEO, and I think that's a great way sure. to start, right? Because you've already got this person. Like, have them look at the whole picture mm-hmm. and be yeah. the person who makes everybody come to the table and, and, and understand, yeah, when you throw somebody over the fence, it's a bad experience for the, for the consumer. It ends up yeah. in a churn. Who have you guys seen be responsible for expansion revenue? We have um, just the, the perfect person in it because they spent time both in customer success and in sales. That's awesome. Um, and they are the kind of salesperson who is very interested in outcomes for the customer. Got it. Right? So you're not going in and like saying, hey, time to upgrade, time to upgrade. Sometimes when you put a frontline customer success person as responsible for trying to upsell someone, that makes them very uncomfortable. Yep. Right? Well, and the yeah. entire like- interaction they have with the customer then feels to them like this high pressure oh i know at the end of this call i'm gonna need to try to sell them i don't unless it's natural yeah yeah yeah, right right now we're going into we're like trying to restructure comp and we're talking about bonus structures for essentially who our customer success people are but what i've seen in the market is there are some teams where their customer success folks they'll have basically like 105 percent quota where everyone's got to stay retained and some people got to expand a little bit mm-hmm. and then there's others who and then normally they'll have like an account management function where that's just like reactive or proactive support and then there's others who kind of don't have any like connection to revenue at all you know if your other products are aligned and if the music more is aligned like it should be very aligned yeah you know it probably depends on the person too like if they feel that internal stigma around it like i don't really feel that i'm like yeah like I'm going to help you more by like having you sign up for more products and all that. So who in an organization purchases your product? Is it like, which, which is it marketing? Is it sales? I think a lot of what we're thinking about is like this new product and how do we go in there? And right now it's been marketing growth. 
head of growth, growth, gotcha. you know, marketer is kind of more the the terms that, and even we're seeing growth start to spin out is a little bit different than, mm-hmm. you know, what it's been before in some like organization, but we're open to other organizations using it as well. And mm-hmm. I think product can use this because again, mm-hmm. it's like anywhere you're using app cues, for example, sure. to do in-app alerts, like sync up all of those messages and audiences and put those on your website. Probably one of the basic things like, is they say, well, customers aren't coming back and looking at our site. They're just coming back. They click log in in the top right and they go in <laughs> and that's where we get them. And from what I've seen, that's just not true. Now, they're yeah. not all over. You know, it's not all 100% of them on your site every month. not going month. to the pricing page every month. Yeah, yeah. So it's not everywhere. Yeah. But like, think about the SaaS companies or companies that you guys use that you really like. Like, I know every page on Intercom. Just yeah. so I like their blog. Like, I, I know, I know like <laughs> right. a ton of like pages on your guys' site. I know yeah, like yeah, a ton yeah. of Drifts pages. I know Segments pages. Like, I got, yeah. the companies I really like, like I'm all over. There's a lot more opportunity than just signing people up. Yeah. Um, and no one's really utilizing that yet. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. I, th- I think one of the tenets of RevOps is to reduce those operational inefficiencies in your tooling. So like mm. the product team signs up for app queues, marketing team signs up for proof. Well, hey guys, you could actually use the same tool. Just use proof from start to back. And mm. yeah. You know, yeah. Don't get me wrong, I love SaaS. But I think yeah. the average SaaS company now uses probably too much SaaS themselves. Mm. Just yeah. because each department, each function scratches their own itch. I think we're going to have a little bit of an overkill of like, oh my God, there's too much subscriptions, too much SaaS. And then I think it's going to come back where like the tooling will get good enough where we don't care as much. Like, especially with like elastic billing and stuff like that, when I'm only paying for exactly what I'm using, I won't necessarily care how many things I have. Right, right. Like they still want, they want to understand like predictability on some level, but they don't need predictability in terms of like a perfect budget as much anymore. Mm -hmm. because none of their cloud, you know, costs are ever predictable, right? Yeah. yeah. Or they're somewhat predictable, but they're not, they're always going to be variable on some level. And so, I don't know, there's going to be a few years, I think, where everyone's just comfortable with like, you know, pennies, you know, basically coming out of their account. (laughs) I think that's where everything's going though. Uh, I mean, a long enough timeline, of course, right? Like, seems like, you know, it's like the Black Mirror episode where you pay per like tube of tooth, like little piece of toothpaste or whatever. Remember Mm -hmm. that? just with so much stuff out there, like everything's getting more value-based in some particular way. And the the way the only way you get value-based is if you're actually measuring value in some way, right? So we've seen, Michael and I were talking about this today, where um, I think like five, seven years ago, like there were only about 15% of SaaS companies or subscription companies using a value metric. So like per user, per 100 visits, mm-hmm. per whatever. Now it's up to about 40%. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really given the wave of like Chargefly and the rest of the billing field where now we can actually measure it, therefore we can price on it. And then the next iteration is like Twilio where it's like, yeah, you might batch up your clicks or whatever it is in a monthly invoice, but it's not necessarily going to be like a cap on something or a range. It's going to be like what you actually use. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you guys charge for proof? We charge based on number of visitors that have, you know, hit the page. I think it's pretty good value metric. I think the perfect one would be like some percentage of lift. Like yeah. that's really what we offer you, but it's hard to track. It's just super complicated to do that. So you kind of yeah. find the proxy. Um, I think for like this new personalization product, what we'll probably do or we want to get to is like experiences viewed. Like how many times did somebody load a page where they saw in their viewport, like mm. the personalized experience. So there. it's not all my visits. It's, it's just not just a visit. Yeah. It's like visits. if someone hits yeah. a page where it's like you're personalizing the bottom and they didn't scroll down, like you're not going to oh, pay for that. Or if they, you know, hit a page, it's personalized not on there. You're not going to pay for that. And yeah. So I think that's probably a step closer. It's a little more sophisticated. It's kind of like, like the marketing that. pricing that like Slack or Help Scout does where 
you don't pay, if the user doesn't log in you don't pay for them yeah even though there might be on your invoice it's yep. just they kind of do a little bit i think they call it like fair fair billing or something mm. they don't call it fair use billing but they call it something like that which yep. is interesting yeah yeah so i think yeah i think we've been worried too when we started it was like we're charging based on every visitor that like loads our pixel because there's costs associated with that mm -hmm. you know but you don't want right. to get too like cost based right but yeah, it's yeah, still yeah. real Right. I still got to figure out like, how do we make that cost cheap enough that we don't even care about it. And, like you can load a bunch of stuff and like we're not even really worried about it. But like, again, customers don't care about that. They don't care that like it costs us you know, that we have an unoptimized yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, server process. So they're right. like, hey, I just like want to pay for like when you do something for me. And so yeah, I think right. we've grown as an organization figuring out how do we yeah, only talk about the value we bring and not dump our internal inefficiencies on our customers. Right. They that's don't cool. care. Yeah. Value-based pricing. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. That, that comes up. I know. <laughs> What was your path here to, to leading proof? Before proof? Yeah, before proof. Yeah, so I mean, I started with my two co-founders. We started with a marketing agency. Well, actually, we started with a SaaS company. So we started this fraternity recruitment software. Okay. Because I was like, I was the house out of a fraternity. They're all spending about 30 grand a year on recruitment, but they're all doing it inside spreadsheets. Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, I'm going to build a CRM for fraternity recruitment guys. Long story short, actually kind of short story short, it sucked and nobody <laughs> nice. wanted it. And I was using some super weird billing software. I doubt it even exists anymore. I was trying to figure out the name of it, but it was like horrible. Yeah. I ended up making probably like 900 bucks, spent 11 grand getting it all developed on Ugh. Upwork. Um, and I realized like I didn't know how to like market at all. I didn't know how to sell customers into this product yeah. here. Um, and so I kind of pivoted and I was like, hey, like we need to go, I need to go learn marketing. So just mm -hmm. started like pouring over every Neil Patel blog post and taking every course go. and then started a marketing agency where we would just do all the conversion optimization and mm. marketing Facebook ads for local businesses. Eventually kind of turned that into like a course business where we taught trainings on Facebook ads and conversion <laughs> optimization and uh, how to do all that. Recently, I kind of want you to tell your latest child story. Yeah. So I haven't told this on the air yet. Okay. So this is going to be on the air. I just remember seeing this on Twitter and going, what happened? But yeah, you want to tell us what yeah, happened? So I delivered my second kid in the front seat of my car. Because you were right in front of the hospital. Yeah, but I was like, I was going to park and you're going to like supposed to go in this other door and go yeah. down the hallway. Because it's the second one. So you're like, yeah, I'm a pro. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then she's like, get to the emergency room. And so we I like swerve around, pull to the emergency room. I run in and I'm like, yeah, I need some help. And they're probably thinking, this is just some new dad. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, this, yeah. Is, this happens every day. Overreacting. Here. And I like run back out and like, I just see the baby's head. Oh my gosh. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I run back out and just she pushed and she's amazing and i just happened to catch him right there and wow. i just kind of stood there for like 30 seconds before like all the hospital staff rushed out and like kind of so took wild. over but it was a cool experience you know That's luckily wild. we had wow. no uh complications or anything but uh i think next time we're gonna do a home birth because we just don't want to do that because you're like i don't need to travel anymore <laughs> no, like, I got I've this. Done that. <laughs> and i thought we were gonna get a discount because it's like i delivered the <laughs> <laughs> but actually they slapped me with the emergency room bill on top uh, it's like a whole separate go. thousand dollars or whatever done it, like uh, in the parking lot totally instead yeah, of the emergency room yeah, yeah totally <laughs> totally yeah. but that was a good experience but i That's do not cool. recommend i will say this is grown up i was just thinking the same thing here as so, i worked our way back great. to it so this is a beer that is best served slightly warm Oh, uh, a lot of a lot of beers are like that. That's interesting. And isn't wine? I mean, wine kind of closes up as it gets colder. Like if you don't like a wine when it's warm, cool that sucker down. Right. And, like it'll go down easier. Right. Is beer like the opposite of that? Is it the same principle? The cold actually, um, it like tenses up your tongue and you don't get as many of the flavors. Got it. Yeah. But it's a little like That's rough. Various. You have to go through the kick in the face to get yeah. the joy. Right. That's right. Which is always good. It's just like running the startup.
Yeah. Just yeah, like punch always, in the face always the comes back. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>What do you think? Uh, I thought that was great. Yeah. Uh, he's got a lot of context. And I think his bit about like the authenticity and being authentic with the customers um, really yeah. gets home. Like that's, that's huge. Yeah. And, and it, it makes it not marketing into, anymore. Totally. Not, not sales. It's like, oh, like you want to help me. Totally. Yeah. And I think it, it ties back to like the thing with RevOps is, especially in the world of SaaS, is that whole relationship aspect mm-hmm. where the relationship is much more just than conversion. You got to market past the conversion, keep those customers along around as, as long as possible to boost LTV. And so yep. I think that's pretty huge. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cause like we said, the, uh, the customer feels like they have one relationship. So you have to have one totally. relationship. Back yeah. Back. And you can't really have a relationship without authenticity and without continuing beyond like the first date, you right. know, use an overuse metaphor right. there. Yeah. So that's very good. Cool, man. Well, that's all for this week's of RevOps and hops. I'm Patrick Campbell from ProfitWell. Uh, Michael Klett from Chargeify. And if you enjoyed this, if you got some value out of it, make sure you share with a friend or a colleague. If you wanted the podcast version, make sure to go wherever you download podcasts and you'll be able to find the episode. But with that, we'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.